In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Today we have an incredible episode mm. lined up, if I do say so myself. I would actually say it's quite off. credible. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It is. <laughs> it's incredible that the episode is this good and all the information is totally yes. credible. <laughs> um, so we'll start off by talking about um, impeachment and, and the politics of impeachment. And then we've got two segments which will be dedicated to an interview that we had um, with Kate Schweit, who is a former uh, special agent at the FBI. And we'll be talking about um, the insurrection, as we've learned yeah. to uh, to call it, at the Capitol. Um, so we just recorded that, and then we'll have that as the second two segments of this episode. Yeah. And it was a really awesome interview. So, like, even if yeah. you... Uh, even if you normally skip around our episodes for for one reason or another, definitely don't don't skip around those. That's it was a yeah. really great interview. Uh, we really appreciated having her on here, um, and yeah. I, I am so excited for you to for you to hear what we talked about. Yeah, she had a lot of amazing things to say. Just a great perspective. Um, really, just to totally changed kind of how I was approaching the whole issue. So, yeah. if you're interested in in really understanding uh, how these things work, what it was like, or you know what was going on on the ground, um, what we should have expected or not from the different groups involved, like it is an awesome interview. Speaking of what's going on on the ground, um, let's get the COVID numbers. You see that segue, Michael? Yeah, That's why yeah. I make the big. Yeah, bucks. that was. Yeah, that was really <laughs> seamless. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, we'll get the COVID numbers out of the way because they suck. Um, <laughs> uh. So worldwide, 92.7 million people have gotten COVID, which is up from 87.7 million seven days ago. Um, so that's about 5 million new cases or about 715,000 new cases per day. So far, 1.98 million people have died from COVID in the world, which is up from 1.89 million last week. So that means approximately 13,000 people have died from COVID per day worldwide. Mm. In the U.S., COVID has gotten way worse while we're all looking the other way. So it, I guess it turns out that when you get thousands of people um, you know, thousands of super angry super spreaders together to yell and scream, you get a lot of aerosols. Um, so at this point, 23.6 million people have gotten COVID in the U.S., which is up from 21.9 million last week, which is about 286,000 new infections per day. So that means that of the world's 5 million new cases, the U.S. makes up 2 million of those, which is 40%. And we make up 5% of the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, we, and we've referred to this comparison a number of times. Like, and, and if you go back and listen to those episodes, if you track the data, you know, it, for a while there was like 20%. We were making up 20% of a week's new cases. And then, and then it popped up to like 30%. When things got really bad, it was 35%. And now it's at 40%. And yeah. 
it's because we're losing this battle. So, so far, 393,000 people in the U.S. have died from COVID, which, like, by the time we record next time, it'll be 400,000. By the time we record next time, it'll be the worst case scenario that Trump balked at at the beginning of, of the pandemic and said, like, well, it's not like we are going to get there. Like, if worst case scenario, we'll get there. Yeah. Remember when he said that a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand would be a success story, and we all yeah. laughed at him. We all were like, "Seriously, that's acceptable yeah. losses to you?" Well, yeah. by his own standards, he has been a supreme fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so in the last week, the U.S. has had twenty three thousand new deaths which is 3,300 deaths per day, which makes this past week the deadliest week of the pandemic. That's a a 9-11 every day. (laughs) You want to talk about something lighter? (laughs) And this time I I actually mean mean it. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like you could, I feel like you could use the 25th amendment for Trump's COVID response, unable to execute Mm. the requirements of his duties in responding to COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. Yeah. So let's talk about impeachment. Haven't um, we been here before? <laughs> <laughs> For the first time ever in U.S. history, I can say yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. This, so this, so the House just uh, voted to transmit articles of impeachment um, from the House to the Senate, which means that, as you'll learn probably later on in our episode with. Uh, with Kate, that that's like the charging document for um, for basically the the crimes that Trump has allegedly committed, um, which he would then be convicted for by the Senate. Yeah. Um, um, and the final vote tally was uh, 232 to 197, with 10 Republicans voting to impeach the president. Mm-hmm. 10 Republicans. That's remarkable. Yeah. Especially in the House. Especially in the House. Keep in mind, there were, it was, it was a little, I think it was a little over 100 that voted to try to overturn a Democratic election. That just, yeah. that just shows you how deep the divide is, how people in Congress really do live in different worlds that there's over 100 Republicans that were ready to just overturn a Democratic election. And, you know, and there are 10, there are 10 Republicans and all the Democrats who are just ready to historically invoke a second impeachment process. This is prime time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for sure. This is, this is absolutely insane. And uh, Michael and I want to spend some time talking about basically the strategies here, why we're doing this, um, mm-hmm. potentially some other options, and what we think about it. So yeah. before we get too much into impeachment, let's talk a little bit about um, the 25th. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so so I definitely want to talk about the 25th because it's gotten kind of a fair amount of like play recently for a rather rel- relatively obscure amendment about succession. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that's specifically because of section four of the 25th amendment and bear with me. I kind of want to read the text. So we kind of know 
what's actually going on in in this and like what we're actually talking about. I'll do it. I'll do it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so it reads section four of the 20th Amendment. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or such other body as Congress may by law provide. So basically, that's the vice president and the cabinet. Um, So whenever they transmit to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of office acting as president. Um, So basically what that means is like it's specifically the historical context was specifically to provide a mechanism for um, transferring presidential powers from the um, from the president in the case where the president is still alive but not able to execute their duties. Um, So you worry about things like, um, you know, the few hours that Abraham Lincoln was alive after being shot yeah. when there was no one who could execute the, the powers of the president. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's kind of what it is <clears throat> designed to do. Yeah. And, and the house, the house recently um, passed a resolution, which is, uh, which they transmitted to vice president Pence asking him um, to invoke the 25th amendment um, in order to, you know, subsume the powers of the presidency from Trump, arguing that in in, in like violating his oath, inciting insurrection, he was was violating his um, his you know his office and was therefore not able to actually execute the duties of his office, and there should therefore should be um, you know he should be removed um, from executing those duties. Yeah. Importantly, Trump could then request, like, send a letter to Congress and basically say, "Hey, I want my duties back." And um, ultimately, this would would shake out such that Congress would get to decide, but they would have 21 days to do it. Yeah. So technically, if if Pence and the cabinet wanted to do this, they could, and it would and it would um, it would effectively, you know cut his sh- term short yeah. by by eight days although pence sent a letter back basically saying nah son not gonna do it yeah um he did seem <laughs> to be a little bit more critical of the president in this particular letter sure. acknowledging the fact mm-hmm. that um this insurrection was inappropriate um that of course i mean joe biden is going to be inaugurated but his his argument which has been mimicked by a lot of other people which pisses me the hell off it was basically oh but this would just divide the country yeah excuse me (laughs) are you not one of the people who has been saying over and over again that we should just throw out the will of 80 million people that voted for joe biden like that that's what pisses me off about this there are so many there's so many republicans right now that are trying to make the argument against any process to remove the president, including invoking the 25th, including uh, going down the the path of impeachment. And their argument is, oh, but things are so divided. You're just going to light a match on all of this gasoline. Well, who put the fucking gasoline there? The people that put the Mm. gasoline there are the people that have been fomenting this idea that there was this massive conspiracy theory to overturn a democratic election without any evidence of that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, 
that is, if that was actually true, if it were true that there was voter fraud to this level, that would be historically unique. That would be an extraordinary situation. And that's an extraordinary allegation. And they're just kind of letting that allegation live out there in some cases, mm. continuing to foment it. And when an allegation like that, when you're basically telling people that this election was stolen from you in a dictatorial manner, and then they turn around and they try to do an insurrection on the Capitol, you can't then turn around and say, oh, but it's the Democrats' job to unify the country. You know, yeah. maybe you could think about yeah. unity. You, maybe you could stop thinking about yourself. <laughs> Don't forget, you guys are the unity party, not us. So you guys have to make sure to ensure unity. Get the unity. fuck out of here, man. Yeah. Yeah, let, I mean, let's, like, I, I like your, your gasoline and match an analogy. Like, let's, like, be clear. You're basically saying we are using the fact that you guys want unity, the fact that you guys actually want to get stuff done, the fact that your agenda requires cooperation because the point of the Democratic Party is to actually write and pass legislation, unlike the point of the Republican Party, which tends to be just to get the machine to stop. Yeah. So they're using the fact that we need, that we need to actually pass stuff that we have to, that we're driving towards unity um, so that we can create like a good society against us and saying, well, actually, like if you really want to do that, um, there better be no consequences for our actions. Which means that we no don't consequences have a for the fact anymore. that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's totally um, ingenuine, this response. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing that like they'll say they'll say you know they'll make these claims about voter fraud and then when you challenge them on them they'll say oh no no I just I just want an investigation I just think if there if there were no voter voter fraud then an investigation would be fine why can't we just have an investigation don't you want an investigation don't you want to know it's like it's just moving the goalpost all the time yeah and like the best argument that I've heard um for you know against potentially doing impeachment. Um, is basically been, um, well, when he was talking, when Trump was talking, he never directly said, go to the Capitol and break in. Like, he just said, you know, <laughs> march to the Capitol, I'll march with you. Yeah. So then the the question is, if there wasn't necessarily this direct incitement, is there still enough um incitement in what he said to warrant impeachment and that was actually something that i wasn't sure about um but we uh you'll hear this later when we um have when you listen to our interview with uh with uh, kate schweit um she actually who uh, is also a former prosecutor she had mentioned that um if she was a prosecutor if she were uh asked to prosecute a case with trump she would ac absolutely say that there is enough to put forward a prosecution there um mm -hmm. so i think that's really that's definitely really interesting so if we are operating under the assumption then that yes donald trump did incite an insurrection and thus did break the law strategy doesn't matter yeah. um i think that like, i think that results doesn't point. matter it's the principle you know yeah. 
We, yeah, I think, and I think that was a great point that Kate will later in this episode emphasize, which is that like the point of having these remedies is so that we don't have people um, in power and representing us that are actively working to dismantle the system yeah. that got them there, which which is something that doesn't only apply to Trump but also applies to all of the lawmakers who are trying to disrupt this election. Yeah. Including the ones that, including the ones that were advancing um, unsupported claims of voter fraud and election rigging, um, even though even if they didn't end up like trying to uh, prevent the certification of the electoral votes, like these are people that are in positions of power and using that position of power, using the platform it provides, to attempt to corrupt. Um, and circumvent the system that got them there. It's like it's beyond it's beyond Mitch McConnell using the rules of the Senate in order to, you know, like this one weird trick is going to help me, you know, prevent any legislation from getting passed. It's beyond that. It's to the point of like subverting lawful and and, you know, correct administration of our democratic republic. And in, and to, when you put it like that, it's very clear that something has to be done. Yeah. And the fact that we have a clear path here to remove um, a president who like not only actually like likely committed actual crimes, but also has betrayed the responsibility, the oath, the integrity of his office. Like, America, as weird as it sounds, is not necessarily the American people. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if 50% of them think that you should subvert America. Yeah. I mean, we live in a democratic republic, not just a democracy. We live in a democratic republic. Yeah, exactly. And that means that we operate under the rules of law. And yeah. part of that rule of law is the idea that no one can be above that law. And... Because of that, on principle, on principle alone, not even talking about the results, the strategy, on principle alone, Trump needs to be impeached. Now, yeah, I've said this many times. I still maintain that he should have been um, impeached and removed on day one, or at least that process yeah. should have started on day one of his presidency because of the emoluments clause. But, I mean, if inciting a sedition against the the United States Capitol doesn't fall under that category, then I don't know what does. Yeah. Um, so, so moving on from the principle, though, let's talk a little bit about what benefits this could potentially have. So it's unlikely yeah. that even if the Senate did vote to convict Trump, which is a huge question mark, um, yeah. there are a few Republicans that have already come out and said, yeah, Fuck this guy. He deserves to be removed um, more so than than previous. Uh, I believe there's Murkowski, yeah. uh, Romney. Um, if only they chanted uh, hang a couple other people besides Pence and then we would really yeah. we'd really, really have a quorum. Yeah. Um, Pat <laughs> Toomey from Pennsylvania. Um, and in, the thing that I find really interesting is that Mitch McConnell is actually saying that he is open to voting to convict. He's actually, he mm. sent out a memo to his fellow Republicans basically saying, um, I don't know how I'm going to vote. 
I want to listen to I, mean, I want to listen to the arguments. And and which means to Mitch McConnell, I'm going to I'm going to see what votes I can win. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and the, the the thing is Mitch McConnell's the majority leader. All you need yeah. is uh I believe uh, 17 Republicans in order to mm-hmm. vote to convict. Um if you have Mitch McConnell on your side with that, I think there's a good chance that at least uh, you you could at least get 17 Republicans if he is if he's on board yeah. with that. Um, I mean, just looking at the political expediency from the Republican Party, this is their get out of jail free yeah, card. Yeah, it is. This is the opportunity of a political lifetime yeah. for them because they have the opportunity to prevent if they both vote to convict and uh, and pass a vote to like prevent him from running again in in the future they have the opportunity very surprisingly to with a lot of public support and the positive um, view of history to to remove this threat to the republican party which trump has truly undermined um in in many many ways so like if i were mitch mcconnell and I were think, and I was thinking about the strategic position of the Republican Party going forward. I don't know how much Trumpism is sustainable, yeah. and so like it's, um, it's like just he's got the ability to put the pin back in the grenade. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if it's quite that cut and dry. I think that either way he's in an impossible position, but sort of as a point in your favor there. Trump lost them the House. He yeah. has now lost them the Senate, and he lost them the White House. So Democrats now have control of um, two branches of government. Now, Republicans got a lot more of a hold on the third branch of government because of Donald Trump, but he lost them a lot of power. And I think Mitch McConnell's sick of that. He's pissed. And, you know, this, in his mind, I think that he is thinking the way you're thinking, mm-hmm. that this can be our way of expunging the, Democ- the, the Republican Party, of trying to distance yeah. ourselves from Donald Trump so that we're no longer considered the party of Donald Trump. And without him I competing just, with them in the future. I just, I think it's too late for that. The thing is, <laughs> I think that, Either way, the Republican Party's fucked because there are too many Trumpists, even elected Trumpists, that are just going to have an all-out civil war in the Republican Party. And and it's going to end up destroying the Republican Party. But I also think that if he continued to embrace Trump, that would also destroy the Republican Party because... Trump's approval rating in most polls has been going down even more. I believe the last few polls that I checked were in the 30s. But the thing but the thing is that like 38, 37%, they really like Trump. And if you start talking against Trump, they're going to turn against you. So, it's like they have this coalition that will defend Trump no matter what. But that coalition is not even close to a majority of the country. So mm. they're never going to get a majority of the country only appealing to that coalition. But if they stop trying to appeal that to that coalition, 
then they lose that coalition. And, mm. and then they lose anyway. So I think that, I think the Republican party is fucked no matter what. Yeah. I, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, that seems like it's a plausible kind of answer to the case on how that would shake out. On, on the other hand, I wonder if the um, rejection of Trump, um, because like because so much of the blame of his administration is on him, yeah. rather than on all the Republicans that have enabled him, because he's just so loud in your face and is like, you know, he seems like the person that everybody is focused on. I wonder if there there. I wonder if he would bet that that would. Uh, pull some of the blame from the rest of Republicans and then they could sweep up the rest of the Trump coalition, maybe not to vote for McConnell per se or any of the Republicans that are still in there, but like could like sweep up the rest of the, of the Trump group to try to, um, you know, pull Republicans. Cause ultimately all they have to do is pull enough moderate Republicans a lot and like i guess turn out enough trump republicans in order to win next time yeah you know but yeah i don't know i'm hoping that what they that what mcconnell and other republicans determine is that it in fact is in their best interest um (laughs) i don't know if it (laughs) is that is going to be the only path (laughs) yeah i hope they want to yeah (laughs) so if you're listening to this and we know you are Forget about all that uh, stuff I said about being fucked other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to Nathan. He's a liberal snowflake. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> so some of you might be asking, well, but Donald Trump is going to be gone next week. And uh, we actually got into this a little bit with Kate later, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, kind of say it again here. Um There are some advantages to this. One of the biggest things is the fact that if Donald Trump is impeached and convicted, which, I mean, well, he's already been impeached. If he's convicted, um, then that bars him from ever being able to run again. And there has been a lot of talk about him trying to do a 2024 run. And, you know, some people... Uh, some leftist commentators that I've seen uh, seems to be making the mistake of saying, oh yeah, go ahead and do that. That would be hilarious. And, you know, he would definitely lose them the presidency. Motherfucker, that is what got us into this in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, that, yeah. you're probably that right, but I'm not willing to take that chance. I would, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Give, give Donald Trump four years of no responsibility yeah. and and just a mouthpiece yeah and you they you know you won't be able to make any of the arguments about how shitty of a job he's doing yeah you know and all he'll have to say is oh there's no good there's not gonna be another pandemic <laughs> and then he'll get be president yeah. again no no yeah. it's not a risk we yeah. can take um and also especially not with literally the lives of a lot of people that he would affect yeah. so that i think is the biggest advantage yeah, uh, biggest practical advantage at this point because i really don't yeah. think even if he is convicted it's going to happen before wednesday um yeah and th- there's no way it would happen before he's out of office like it's not it's not a meth it's practically it's not a way to get him not to be president for the last couple of days yeah but you can you can hope that it will have other benefits 
in addition to the fact that we just should be impeaching people that are that are in public office and and actively working against the responsibilities of their public office. Okay, so now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Michael, we do Tips for Good every week because start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. We are a great big part of it. New York. Mm. Actually, you know what? I kind of hate New York because it's a city. And I hate cities. <laughs> so let's just let's just do it because it makes the world a better place. That's a that's a good idea. Including New Including York. Including New York. New York is part of <laughs> Yeah. So that that I totally agree with. So Michael, what is our tip for good this week? So our tip for good this week is a very practical one. Um, and it is to use a website or an organization more specifically called givewell.org. Um, to make the best possible wait, 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 decisions. Wait, 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 I got this. So this is a place where you can go to get premium wells, right? Yes, it is all about... <laughs> no, it's it's not good well. <laughs> no, no. It's give well. It's where you can give someone a well. Oh, you can well. give someone a well. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's like... It's, no, 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 it, what I was yeah, thinking it, is... It's it, like a candy gram and then they dig no, a hole. No, what I was thinking <laughs> is it's a website where, you know, people can go to give their uh, premium wells, but it, I'm assuming it would also at the same time, be a distribution platform for said wells, right? Mm, yeah. That, that was yeah, my that logic is, there. That is not it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so give good. No, sorry, it's give well. <laughs> give well.org. Um, and, and their big focus is figuring out what charities are the best, which sounds weird a little bit when you're, when you're thinking about charitable giving, right? Like, oh, like, I mean, if you're giving to charity, isn't that enough? Isn't that good? Well, sometimes it is. And sometimes it's the Trump organization. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's not only about what they do, but it's about how well they do it. You know, because, like, lots of charities are out there trying to, to solve the world's most important problems. But some of them are literally hundreds of times more effective at doing that with every dollar you give them than other charities. And so what GiveWell does is they do extensive in-depth research on uh, charities and specific causes, and they put it on their website. So you can see exactly um, what the impact is going to be of, of every dollar that you give to certain organizations. Um, and it's all about trying to make it so that, you know, Many of us give some money to charity. Often people don't do it with a lot of thought, but, but it, can, it can make all the difference in the world if you give that same money that you would have given anyway to the right organization. So, for example, um, here's, here's one entry. They're talking about um, medicine to uh, prevent malaria. And um, they, they lay it right out. They talk about malaria, and they talk about cost-effectiveness. They say... Um, it's about $7 to protect a child from malaria. And according to their uh, data and analysis, they estimate that between five and uh, three and $5,000, you will save a person's life mm. from getting malaria. Which like, like if you give to any other organization, you have, it's not nearly that transparent. And, you know, they might not be doing that much good. 
And that's tips for good. All right. Today we have a very special guest. She is a former special agent for the FBI, a former prosecutor, and currently an attorney and consultant in crisis management and active shooters. Kate Schweit. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for letting me in today. Yes, there's there's so much to get to. Uh, honestly, uh, when when the events of last week happened, I really thought that there wasn't going to be a lot much more that would come out at, uh, after we had really gotten into the into the details of it. But so much more so much more information has been coming out, and it, it really is going to be nice to talk to an expert in uh, crises uh, like this. So before we get into that, um, tell us a little bit about your time working with the FBI. What did what did you do? You know that you're allowed to talk about, um, and what type of things uh, have you worked on in the past that could potentially relate to discussing the crisis that happened at the Capitol last week? Sure. I feel like at this moment, I should say, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably could with your pinky. <laughs> I like the implication, yeah. Nathan, that like there's a bunch of stuff, the shadowy, uh, you know, background right. that can't be shared. That's good. That's right. Actually, <laughs> when I hired into the FBI, um, I was assigned and worked to national security matters, all national security matters, counterintelligence, so espionage, uh, things like that. And then uh, actually spent a tremendous amount of my career working uh, terrorism, counterterrorism, um, international, but in most uh, particularly because I worked up in um, our Milwaukee division for a while, domestic terrorism. So I worked uh, white supremacist cases and um, and uh, you know put some people in jail who who stepped over the line. Um, so that and being uh, because I am a lawyer, uh, you know that's helped me to you. It's important that you don't interfere with anybody's First Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, it's not important. It's essential that you don't mm -hmm. interfere with somebody's First Amendment rights. So yeah. I, I, um, I worked those matters, went into Washington um, on a transfer out of the Milwaukee office. And then when that time um, in Washington, you end up doing a lot of different things. I moved up through the executive ranks and uh, that allowed me to experience a lot of different things. Um, and then Sandy Hook happened, the shooting school shooting at Sandy Hook where the children were murdered and the yeah. six adults and um, and the director's office pulled me off and said, "Okay, hi. Now you're a you're going to be a you're going to be an active shooter mass shooting expert." Mm -hmm. So, um, so I moved from national security matters, uh, counterintelligence matters, uh, over, and that's all I did for the last five years. I was in the FBI, so I ran their their national security their their uh, counterterrorism and national security focus program that had to do with uh, active shooters. So, so you were the main person at the FBI with regard to expertise on mass on uh, uh, active shooters, correct? Sadly, I, I was one of the FBI's and am one of the experts in the country on uh, active shooters, and therefore I am no fun at parties. Yeah. <laughs> Always uh, doors and corners, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so just one thing that kind of perked my ears up is your work on domestic terrorism, specifically related to you know white supremacy issues. Like, given... The events of the past week, but also the events of the past couple of years. I'm thinking back to Charlottesville and um, other domestic terrorism-related or adjacent incidents. Is is this something that is like worrying you more and more? Have you seen and like, <clears throat> I guess, compared to the um, cases that you worked on back then, 
has has it changed or is this something that's kind of always been there in the background that that maybe hasn't gotten the attention of the mainstream as it has maybe since Donald Trump took office in 16? I think that uh, it hasn't uh, changed in certain ways. There certainly are a solid uh, couple of centuries of hmm. um, yeah. what, um, you know, a white dominance in the United States. And, um, you know, the, the idea of, again, what I mentioned before, from a constitutional standpoint, you know, the First Amendment, the freedom to associate, the freedom to assemble, the freedom to speech, those are very sacrosanct and you have to protect yeah. all of those in religion. And those are great as long as they don't interfere with somebody else's right to have their own constitutional protections. So yeah. the white supremacist issues that we have in the United States, I know that people when sometimes early on when I would work these matters, people would say, yeah, those Klan people, you know, you're letting them march. And, you know, I'd say mm -hmm. they got as much a right to march as the rest of us. Yeah. And, and you know, I've been at Klan rallies before where they've been out uh, protesting, but I've also worked, as I said, I worked in uh, the Chicago, Milwaukee area. Um, something that people would say was a little bit more insidious. It's kind of like everybody who's who's around you and some are more this way and some are that. Well, everybody's got opinions about things and some people don't like this and don't like that, don't like these kind of people or that kind of people. Mm. You know, for the FBI and our work, it's the idea of you can think whatever you want, yeah. you just can't act on it. So it's, it's, I think that it's hard for people to understand that it's hard for people to understand, well, how can you tolerate that? Well, I tolerate that because I, I, I swore an oath to the Constitution and I'm going to yeah. uphold that oath. But and even today, but the concept, the basic concept, which is a very long winded answer to your question is there absolutely were people who um, were doing the same thing back then that they're doing right now. I think the difference that we see right now is that because they have been emboldened um, by uh, more prominent individuals, including the president of the United States, um, they they are more vocal and the media is paying more attention to them. Mm. Um, but they were they were still there if that's the way to say it, back when I was working them years ago. That's yeah. really interesting. Out of curiosity, so you mentioned that you had observed some uh, some Klan rallies in the past. Um, I know that usually when people think of the Ku Klux Klan, they think of um, a lot of the hate crimes committed uh, throughout history. Um, based on what you've observed in their trends, uh, have they become like, less directly violent or you know is, is it more about just the uh um just chanting about white supremacy like the or, narrative of white yeah the narrative of white supremacy um or are they still actively committing acts of violence on a regular basis well i think it's i think it's fair to say that you know there are acts of violence committed all the time in the name of white supremacy mm -hmm. and yeah and whether that that person is saying is doing it because they're wearing uh you know their little clan pin on their lapel <laughs> you know it's not really not really relevant there, there's a lot of truth to the, my enemy and my enemy is my friend and one of the things that we see uh so much or i saw so much i think we continue to see and i think that the the rally um, and the the speech on the uh, in front of the White House, and then and then the movement down to the Capitol last week, sixteen blocks away, was an my enemy of my enemy is my friend. There mm. there were there were people there. I know people who were there watching uh, the president speak because they're fans of the president, and yeah. they they're you know loyal American 
you know, prior military, they would never even ever consider lifting a hand against somebody else um, in the United States or against the government. Mm -hmm. But but within that same group, there were yeah. uh, there were different, very different groups. You know, uh, there were neo-Nazis, there were white supremacists, there was Kekistan people, there were Boogaloo, there were Proud Boys. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a huge number of different groups and some of them move together. And that's kind of what we have always seen, I think, is that I, I see at a at a Klan rally, for instance, um, like you were uh, mentioning, Nathan, it's kind of like, you know, people who are rah-rah. You know, there's 12 people there and they want to come and make a big splash and they get a permit to, to be, we're here or we're the neo-Nazis or we're the, but, you know, sometimes the to get to 12 people, they, they really, they're really two from the neo-Nazi group and two from this group and three from yeah. that group. And that's how they get their 12 people. And then there's 20 people protesting against them who are just Joes, common Joes mm. on the street. Interesting. Um, so I think that, so that brings us to uh, a good segue into discussing the, the riots. So one of the things that you have had a lot of experience with. One of the things that you um, has worked with throughout a lot of your career is gathering intelligence. So That's specifically true. looking at uh, the intelligence that was gathered regarding the potential events that were going to happen, why is it that it really feels like the response to the riots at the time, for lack of a better term, shit the bed? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Why was that? I mean, I you know, before I answer that question, here's what I'm going to say to you. The most important thing, most important thing you have to remember for this entire podcast. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> words matter. You say riot, right? You say riot. These were insurrectionists. Some okay. of them were insurrectionists, right? Some yeah. of them were rioters. Some of them were peaceful protesters. But the ones that committed crimes were criminals and insurrectionists. <laughs> and I think it's, I think they're, 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 they, that's the, I mean, that's the fine line, right? People who climb into the Capitol, as we've seen now, videotapes of organized efforts to break through windows and plot out the mapping inside to take over a building, people who are saying, well, they're holding their own cameras, my yeah. favorite kind of criminals. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're holding their own cameras and saying, we're going to take over this building. In order to take over this building, we need to move through those doors to get through these rooms. You need to get more people over there. That's the kind of video that we're seeing right now, right? So from an intelligence standpoint, that's the best, dumbest kind of criminal you want. But, <laughs> but these are just from, from, from words matter, you know, rioters, uh, protesters. These are, in fact, these were insurrectionists. They were there hmm. to take over a government. Yeah. So, um, so with that, with that slap down, which I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean it to be that way. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. I, I, and that was actually going to be one of my yeah. questions later as to whether or not it was appropriate to say insurrectionists. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad, we're on, <laughs> I'm glad we seem yeah. to be on the same page on that. I mean, I think there's been a lot of talk back and forth about, uh, so I'm not even getting to your intelligence question yet, but I promise I will, but you know, there's a lot <laughs> back and forth about, um, are these protesters and people have treated people differently with the Black Lives Matter? And, oh, you know, we can yeah. have that conversation separately. But that's, too, where I think the words matter, right? Mm. You know, because yeah. is this a protest? Is this a march? Is this a, just a few people who got out of hand in a march? Sure. Uh, no, you know, not when, they, what, not when they're chanting, hang Mike Pence. 
yeah. pink, yeah. white pants. That's yeah. not that's not a rioter. That's not a protester. That's an anarchist. Yeah. That's an anarchist. Yeah. So so your question that you asked me about three hours ago was about intelligence <laughs> collection. Um, intelligence collection in this case, um, I can tell you a huge amount of intelligence comes in. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have the intelligence briefings from last week, but as a longtime agent working through this, I can tell you what we do every time. And even though it will all wash out, if there are questions and people say, how come people didn't know or did the FBI know and didn't tell anybody or DHS didn't tell anybody, all of that will wash out to be that's not true. Some mm -hmm. particular person, I know the Capitol Police Chief mm -hmm. said, I never saw that briefing. Well. I can guarantee you that the Capitol Police Chief is, and, and I'm not knocking the Capitol Police Chief, and I'll tell you why, but um, the, 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 the intelligence briefings that come in come in on a regular basis. That stuff is shared by everybody. It's accessible by everybody, and it's a huge effort. The component that works intelligence collection in the United States is probably comparable to the part that works criminal investigations in the United mm. States. It's huge because their job is to protect 300 plus million people in the United States and their property and their shorelines and everything we have overseas. So we have a very comprehensive, very good intelligence collection effort. And I'm not saying, hey, look, I worked, you know, I was working all day and all night for nine months after 9-11. Uh, you know, I was a terrorism supervisor uh, when 9-11 happened. Um, I get that you can do better on intelligence, but when it comes to basic intelligence on something that everybody who was on 4chan, 8chan, sure. Snapchat, you know, you name it, knows, knew about, we knew about it too. And we knew about it and we didn't, we didn't have like one FBI analyst collect that information, put it in a little memo and put it in a drawer. That, that stuff goes out. There's a system for that stuff hmm. to go out. So I hmm. respect the fact that a particular individual might have said, we weren't aware of that or we didn't know. But the difference between what's going on, what went on last Wednesday and what's going on next Wednesday, last Wednesday being this insurrection, an anarchistic movement, and this coming Wednesday, which will be a, a week from now, which will be the, um, you know, the inauguration, is that the inauguration the team that coordinates and runs the intelligence and makes the planning for that, those two events are completely different. You know, what occurred last week was a, in some ways, I'm gonna say spontaneous, but what mm -hmm. I mean is that um, even though there was a lot out there that said, hey, these guys are coming and they're gonna do that. Uh, it was the same thing as what happened like at the Michigan Capitol, um, mm -hmm. where people just kind of moved in and moved on. And then it, then you've got this mob mentality, they move into an area and you've got, they obviously had coordinated planned events, planned individuals. Did everybody who went into the Capitol that day, whether it was a thousand or 2000 people, sure. were they all involved in this single plan? I don't think by any means they were, but we, you know, we had intelligence people, it, that intelligence got out and it wasn't intelligence collection is one thing. Intelligence distribution is another thing. And then yeah. security planning is the third key and the yeah. security planning wasn't done. So it was a big security failure, which will not occur in the inauguration because mm -hmm. that is a whole different event that's coordinated by Secret Service and and the FBI with a thousand other organizations. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a question related to that. Um, I think that makes, I think I really appreciate the nuance, like talking through the different components of uh, intelligence collection and, um, uh, you know, dispersing that to the different groups and then planning and acting on that. Based on the different agencies that could potentially have been resources for this, 
should we have expected the Capitol Police to be able to handle this? Or should we no. have expect? No. Okay. I was really curious no. about that because they seem, we seem to be holding people that are used to protecting a building from very, you know, peaceful folks to a pretty high standard. Well, so here's what I'm going to say that I haven't heard anybody say, and, and I'm not saying that others uh, don't recognize this. And I, you know, and I have in my interviews, other interviews, I mean, I've certainly been critical of Capitol Police and I'll mm. tell you where, you know, kind of where I am. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, where I'm not critical, absolutely. From a criticality standpoint of Capitol Police, they, um, they didn't plan a security. Mm. They didn't plan the potentials of the security breach mm. in a way that they could have, um, there are 20 some agencies around uh, Washington DC that support uh, US Park Police has mounted police. Imagine what it would have been like to have uh, mounted patrol out there and how that might have helped and affected things. Um, you know, the, the uh, FBI uh, is, is literally blocks from the Capitol um, and can mobilize thousands of people if they need to, as they are doing right now. Um, the Metropolitan Police Department spends their entire life managing mobs of people all sure. over the mall, right? Yeah. There are very experienced people there to do it in, in addition to National Guard call-ups and things like that. And you saw them, you saw what's been going on for months we've been dealing with since George Floyd, we've been dealing in Washington, DC with, um, with all of the follow-up, uh, the Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd protests, all of the in-between protests that have gone on that there've been pictures of the tear gas and the clearing the clearing Lafayette Park so the mm -hmm. president could walk across the street and hold a Bible upside down. So mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, you know, that it's we know how to do protests in, in Washington, D.C. Capitol Police could have done a better job of that. And I think they recognize that. I think that's why the sergeant at arms in both houses resigned. That's why the mm -hmm. chief resigned. So let me tell you that with all of that negative about the chief, let me tell you the great thing about Capitol Police. There, are, there were a couple of protectees in the building for a Secret Service, right? There would have been Steve Scalise, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, and the Vice President, and, and, and smattering other people. Secret Service's job is to protect people, period. Mm -hmm. That's their job. Their job is to huddle up and take the bullets and the explosions and to protect those people. And when things started to go bad, Secret Service took those people out of that building in a way that they needed to immediately and took care of their protectees. But it's the Capitol Police. It's the Capitol Police who remained in those rooms and the Capitol Police who were mm -hmm. able to get, as that building was taken over, it was the bravery of those Capitol Police officers, many of them getting the shit beat out of them. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Who were able to get our entire congressional delegation, yeah. both houses, to safety. We could have had, in an instant, hostages or dead members of Congress. In yeah. an instant. And it was the Capitol Police who set every other priority aside and mm -hmm. made sure that our legislators were safe. So in that, from that perspective, they are freaking heroes. And I'm just saying that when I would normally say something to them. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying. I'm just saying they are because I'm being polite. But they are the heroes with regard mm. for those people. Because yep. it was, there's no question that, think about when you get 100 or 200 people yeah. mobbing through a room, and now they've gotten to their destination. This is what I know about this kind of mob mentality. When you, even with terrorists, when they get to the room, that was their goal. We're going to yeah. get to the room. And when these guys got to the building, what did they do all? They all took out their iPhones. They could take pictures of the Capitol Dome. You yeah. know? 
because they their plan was they're to tourists <laughs> right none of them had ever been there before most of them and um yeah. and they so they got to the building and they were Hoo-hoo, we did it we got to the building okay sure. well yeah so what right yeah, they didn't have a what. plan for afterwards they didn't have yeah. a plan and i think that some of them probably did some of them probably had plans to take you know there's no question that since you know we've, we've known for a long time that part of the planning was you know we're going to execute nancy pelosi we're going to execute you know mitch mcconnell we're going to hang we're going to try and hang the vice president you know yeah. so 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 in that way they did a good job and I, I just wanted to say that even though i'm babbling on here yeah no well, i think that's would... awesome because like from the very beginning i've been blown away by the timeline of this like it, it went back it went south so fast it was yeah. like protesters outside the barricades and then you know 10 or 15 minutes later like uh these capital police were having to evacuate uh, the chamber, and you're right. Like they they moved, you know, yeah. a f- well, couple hundred people really fast to safety, right. and and a couple like hundred. With- There's 400 people in the house. Mm. 400 yeah. people in the house. 400 plus, right? Yeah. 100 mm. congressmen, 100 100 senators. They moved 500 plus people to safety in yeah. minutes. Yeah, that's impressive. It, it's very, very impressive. And that's with, a plan, with right? That under means duress, they had a plan yeah. to do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a great well, point. Absolutely. Well, you had you had mentioned earlier that the Capitol Police they're trained to handle protests, but as we as we established, these weren't protesters. Hell, these weren't even rioters. These were insurrectionists. And uh, I believe the next time, the last time something like this happened was like the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, I think eighteen <laughs> right eighteen fourteen is when the Capitol was run over. Yeah, the War of eighteen twelve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I do definitely understand that argument uh, from the point of view of um, there is a lot that the Capitol Police did do, and and there was one officer that unfortunately did end up uh, losing losing his life in the line of defense, um, beaten, and beaten to death. Yeah, yeah he was killed. Yeah, beaten he was to beaten death. to death. Yeah. Um, Imagine beaten to death. Yeah, by people that like a week ago were probably po- posting Blue Lives Matter things on their Facebook. Oh yeah, carrying around Blue Lives Matter, right? And and yeah, yeah and, and a week ago they were posting that on Facebook while they were barbecuing in the backyard. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments. Ass hat of, of the, the week. week. So Nathan, who is our ass hat this week? Well, Michael, our ass hat this week I do declare is our favorite Southern <laughs> Belle, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> I think that's the way we introduce him every time. I just, I just that. love saying I do declare <laughs> in his voice. Yeah, that's fair. I agree. So, so what did he do uh, this week to get him on our show? Well, um, you know how Lindsey Graham is a deeply principled man. And all he mm-hmm. cares about is healing the divisions in our country. And mm-hmm. he went on yeah, Fox News. Yeah, and he and he called Wait, going on Fox News is totally against uniting the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, fair point. Um, but but he went on Fox News. He bravely said, "Quote: I'm calling on President-elect Joe Biden to pick up the phone and call Nancy Pelosi." and the squad and end the second impeachment and, and he was and he was making the argument that Trump had gave it, given a statement last night and that he committed to a peaceful transfer of power and he ba- and he made the argument 
that he has put aside his disappointment in the results of the election for the sake of of unity for the country and that he he hopes that that Joe Biden will have that same integrity. What a hero. Wait a wait a minute. What's this what's this thing I'm seeing on here? I'm I'm seeing a bunch of a bunch of clips on my on my computer randomly of Lindsey Graham hmm. trying to overturn uh, the votes of um, 80 million people that voted for Joe Biden in a way that well, was, that's unity, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's 100 percent of the people voting for one candidate. That's unity. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why Lindsey Graham is our ass hat this week, and we talked a little bit about this in our impeachment segment, but the reason why he is our ass hat is he is standing up here pretending to be to, to be holier than thou. And basically saying, oh, no, all of those conspiracy theories that I was spreading that led to an attack on the Capitol by insurrectionists, that created all of this division. And now it's on you, Democrats, to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Specifically Joe Biden. Specifically Joe Biden. He... Who... Who probably doesn't have that. No, he even, said, he even said, like, you know, oh, President Joe Biden says that he doesn't have the power that Congress has the power. But no, President Biden, you have the power. <laughs> no, he doesn't. As president, don't let anyone tell you you don't have the power to do whatever you want. That's what we've been doing for four years. Yeah, I think it, and I think it's hilarious. Like, I think it's very telling when he says, um, call up Nancy Pelosi and the squad. You yeah. realize that the squad hates Joe Biden, right? You realize yeah. that the squad also, doesn't, doesn't give a shit what Joe Biden says, right? Like, Joe Biden is against Medicare for All, against the Green New Deal, against mm. free college tuition for all. Like, In other words, the, the, the reason the squad got yeah, together. Yeah, the reason why the squad exists in the first place. Like... <laughs> You, you think that he is actually going to have any influence on the squad? You see, this is what happens when you have been living under a Republican president who you have been completely ass-kissing the entire time, where everything he says becomes your new Bible, your new gospel. Mm-hmm. You see, that's not how Democrats tend to view their presidents. We don't view them as these perfect monoliths that we need to get behind everything they do. And to the extent that we do that, there are lots of people on the left that spend a lot of time criticizing that, ourselves included. Yeah. So, yeah. no, Joe Biden does not have that power. Congress does. And you don't get... You don't get to turn around and talk to us about division when you're part of the reason that this insurrection happened in the first place. So fuck you very much. No, thank you. I, if, if I wanted, if I wanted to hear your opinion, I would, I would go outside and curve stomp myself and then, and then cut my fingers off. So congratulations to Southern Belle Lindsey Graham I do for declare. being our ass hat of, of the week. The week.
And now here is part two of our interview with former FBI agent Kate Schweit. One of the other pieces of intelligence that we learned, which I don't think that this part has gotten enough attention, is the fact that on the same day, pipe bombs were sent to both the DNC and the RNC. So some of the things that I've seen, and I want to know what your thoughts are and you know, based on your understanding, one of the things I've been seeing is that that could have potentially been uh, with the intention of diverting Capitol Police away from the Capitol to make it easier for there to be a storming insurrection. So if that's true, then perhaps for a lot of people it was spontaneous, but there were definitely there would have definitely been some people in that crowd that were planning this on happening all along, right? Oh yeah, you, you know, uh, those are good points. And I think they, they, they were covered, but I think unless you're a news junkie, you don't catch it as much, <laughs> but, um, but for sure, there were pipe bombs, uh, not mailed to, they were planted at both planted. the RNC and okay. the DNC offices and there were others. One of the people inside uh, had 11 pipe bombs um, there, so there were definitely uh, problems with um, with that. In the pipe bombs, I'll tell you, as a person who's worked terrorism cases, they're always uh, put together with the concept of we're going to use these as a diversion. Uh, probably always is a terrible word for any uh, mm. investigator to use, but in general, they're put together as a diversion. I'm sure that that's true. And I think when you think about the idea that they were chanting, uh, hang Mike Pence, and they were uh, certain segments were chanting hang, "Hang Mike Pence," and there were pipe bombs put down at the RNC. Imagine people who are on one side of the political uh, story saying, uh, "You know, well, these are just Republicans, bad Republicans, bad Republicans." Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, not from an intelligence standpoint. You put all of it together, and these are anarchists. Yeah, these are yeah. anarchists, and there were definitely anarchists. Um, there were definitely clearly anarchist flags and shirts and people who were in the crowd who also want to create this kind of tumult to create a race war in the United States to end any sort of government mm -hmm. or to end any sensible government so they don't have to worry about, you know, this government that exists now, and I, I, which I always think to myself, yes, and then you go home and barbecue in your backyard, collect your social security check, send your kid <laughs> to free school and drive on a highway mm -hmm, that yeah. the government is putting down on the and repaving every few years when you're trying to get to, you know, your vacation road and it's all blocked off. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that's a, not as simple as people always think of it, but it, the fact that there were pipe bombs out there and the diversion, that wouldn't have pulled anybody off the Capitol. Uh, mm -hmm. by any means, uh, which is, you know, what's your question, but it would have co created more chaos. I mean, uh, you know, I work a lot of mass, I work a lot of mass casualties in Washington, D.C., the Holocaust Museum uh, mm -hmm. uh, shooting and uh, Pentagon shootings and uh, a lot of other things like that. And, and it, Washington is a very hectic place, as you would imagine any big city is, and um, fire and police know how to respond to it. And then those would have been handled, even explosions at the RNC and DNC would have been handled um, at that time. And if it had occurred, it would have not diverted resources away from the Capitol, but it would have given, um, it certainly would have given us, certainly at the FBI, um, cause of concern that there was a, a more substantial risk to other buildings, for instance, the White House um, um, and, you know, and the Supreme Court, which is yeah. the Supreme Court, which is right behind the Capitol. Mm -hmm. If you don't live here, you wouldn't know that, which is now cordoned off. Supreme Court is part of the big Capitol Capitol Park now. Hmm. 
after the events at the Capitol, um, we've been seeing a lot of these conspiracy theories floating around saying, oh, no, but it definitely, it wasn't Trumpists. It wasn't Trump lovers. It was Antifa. It was Antifa in there. And they're the ones that started the riot that turned into an insurrection. They're the ones that started this whole thing. And, and, and a lot of the arguments I've been seeing for that are kind of like superficial. Like, oh, well, they were wearing black coats and Antifa likes to wear black coats. Um, they were no, using- I gotta get rid of all my black coats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is there- We have black coats. <laughs> yeah. What else would you wear? <laughs> yeah. Is there any evidence whatsoever to support that? So I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not out there collecting the intelligence right now, but I can tell you from yeah. an intelligence collection standpoint, the logic there. First of all, we're going to have the answers to those questions. Second of all, um, a lot of these uh, brainchilds that were out there uh, have a long established history uh, of their own uh, bragging on uh, face brag and uh, TikTok and Instagram and all these different channels about how fantastic they are with their positions. And, and they're not... Uh, it's hard to go out with a Trump shirt for two years on your on your Facebook page and then suddenly uh, yeah. and then suddenly say uh, they're Antifa. So a lot of it takes some commitment. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Not that it can't be done. Not that it can't be done. But so there are a lot of people. I, I think it's important to remember these are a ton of people out there. There were yeah. not. If you look at the broad picture of what happened at the Capitol, it is frightening to people who work in my business to think that that occurred at that building. That's a big building. That yeah. is a big building. Mm -hmm. And that building was covered with hundreds of people, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I can't tell you exactly how many were in there, but they'll know and the analysts will be able to estimate whether it was a thousand or 2000 uh, people. And maybe there were 4,000 on the mall, you know, on the mall, which is what they call the big grass area in front of between the Lincoln uh, Memorial, the Washington Memorial yeah. and Lincoln Monument, Washington Memorial and the, and the Capitol. They call it the mall. And maybe there were 10,000 people over time or six or eight. And I don't know what those numbers are offhand. Maybe only a thousand of them or 2000 of them ended up in the Capitol. But there's no question that even if there were some, which I know it, everybody who wants to be very loyal to their political party mm -hmm. or very loyal to the president is saying it must have been these other guys, mm -hmm. but the facts and the logic won't play out on that that's not who was at the trump rally for one yeah. thing and then even if there were a handful of them planted in there that can't possibly have been the the integration uh, it would have been so substantial that it's not really logical i mean i say that as a long time investigator there yeah. could have been i'm not saying there couldn't have been one or two or three or five there weren't 200 antifa people yeah there. sure the, yeah. the numbers just won't pan out no matter what anybody wants to believe yeah and also, based on my own understanding of Antifa, they're not necessarily an organized group. It's more just an ideology that anybody that is willing to, you know, take more drastic steps in order to fight against uh, fascism or what they perceive to be as fascism can call themselves Antifa. Isn't that right. isn't it's that? Like right? Q, it's like QAnon. They're, yeah. they're, it's an ideology. It's just yeah. uh, here's what I kind of believe. There's not. I think that's the hardest part about working. Um, when we when we were speaking earlier about the Ku Klux Klan, you know, who's had a rise and fall three or four times in the United States, 
that's an organized group that, you know, mm -hmm. has little grand poobahs that have little lapel pins. You know, nobody hands out uh, cue cards that are, are sure. playing. Nobody hands out Antifa cards and says, here's your membership card. Yeah. So from an intelligence standpoint, when we're going from an investigator standpoint for the FBI, when we're going after, um, you know, somebody who, who might espouse something, well, to say something is, is you're absolutely legally able to do that under the First mm -hmm. Amendment. So, so yeah. we, we, in some ways, we... I don't, this may sound callous, but like in some ways, we don't care what you say. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, we just care if you're going to do something. If you're going to do something that's violent, that's the, you have to take that step. That's the legal answer as a former prosecutor, right? You have to have that step. Even as an agent, I couldn't go to a prosecutor, a U.S. attorney, and say, I want a warrant to go search this guy's house or this guy's car or get into his his uh, ex, his email access. I can't do that unless I have a step in furtherance of. That's the legal yeah. standard. So yeah. I have to have their words and a step in furtherance of. It's like somebody who says I'm going to rob a bank. I can say I'm going to rob a bank. But until I start to do something, a step in furtherance of, like I, you know, I rent the car and drive up to the front of the bank and mm. I, or I buy the gun that I'm going to use pursuant to my plan. And then I get off my car and I start going in. All right, now you're going to get arrested. Interesting. So um, sort of in that same realm, um, talking about uh, the threshold for which something becomes a crime. Uh, in your professional opinion, does the president's words to what turned into this insurrection, because, uh, you know, he gave his rally, um, he, he gave a rally to them earlier in the day. Do you think that he bears any legal responsibility for what happened based on what he said? Well, um, and you know, I guess that's kind of, you know, going off of your experience as a prosecutor. Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the things uh, that, uh, you know, you can charge anybody with anything, hmm. uh, but it doesn't stick, right? And a prosecutor is yeah. not going to charge unless they think they have good evidence. You know, I, I listen, actually, I happened to be listening to the president's speech that day. And I remember when he said, I'm going to march down there with you. It's funny that those are the words that they pulled out now. because yeah, Which when he, he didn't. <laughs> right, which he did not do, right? But when he said, now you march down to the Capitol and I'm going to be there with you. I think are the words that he used. I'm going to be there with you. He, and I think he might have said, I'm going to march down with you. Yeah. And I remember repeating that to somebody just a minute or two after that on the phone. And I said, yeah, not unless there's a golf cart. <laughs> or not unless you know not unless he, he yeah he's going to be driving his detail is going to be driving him down constitution mm -hmm. avenue so that he can you know foment that type of uh, activity so i mean i remember him saying that and thinking to myself those are not good words mm -hmm. and i think those are and then i see those are the exact words that they plucked out and said here's part of what he was saying that was inciting uh, inciting is, a, there's a legal standard for inciting, yeah. you know, right? You can't yell fire in a crowded theater is the classic, the classic uh, rule for incitement. And I think in this case, when you talk about, um, you know, whether he's responsible for inciting uh, this, this uh, insurrection or um, conspiracy uh, from a sedition standpoint, um, there certainly is plenty there to charge him. Uh, yeah. You know, whether, you know, whether or not a judge or a jury uh, would convict him, there certainly is plenty there to charge him. And, and I wouldn't hesitate as a prosecutor. Interesting. Interesting. Really interesting. So then, so then, in, um, I know that, I know that impeachment, which 
like past just a few hours before we started recording. Uh, I know that impeachment is more of a political process and not necessarily a judicial process, but the idea behind impeachment is supposed to be um, here is a specific crime that was committed by this president. Uh, so I, I don't know if you're the right person to answer this, but I'll you know go ahead and ask anyway. Do you think that what he did, what he said, and what ultimately happened warrants impeachment? So impeachment itself is just the uh, charge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like when you charge somebody with a crime. Yeah. And I think that I, I think there's little little disagreement amongst uh, the majority of people who have now voted and impeached the president for the second time um, um, in history, uh, only president who's ever been impeached twice. The impeachment yeah. is the charging document. And I don't think there were any issues about the facts of the charging document. I listened to the arguments today um, that were brought up and nobody said these facts are in dispute. Mm -hmm. so, so I guess I should say impeachment and removal. So, so no, it's yeah. actually, it's impeachment and conviction, right? Or conviction. So, Right. So so the conviction now the trial that now goes over to the Senate for a trial. Right. In whatever yeah. format. So uh, as Lawrence Tribe just said today, a constitutional scholar, a brilliant guy, um, you know, pe first people say, well, can he be even can there be a trial if he's finished? He's going to be done. He's going to be out of office in a week. Can there, mm -hmm. the Senate won't meet until after yeah. uh, he's gone uh, after he's no longer president? Yes, there's plenty of precedent. He can be tried after he's gone um, because that's what the Constitution itself allows. The Constitution yeah. itself allows that if he, if he conducts himself as an, in office, he can be convicted. The value in convicting him, um, which is probably not what you asked. I've, I'm, I'm babbling so much I lost track of your question. You're good. Um, but the value in convicting him um, and you know, whether, the, whether there is a political will to convict him um, you know, you're right that impeachment is a po is a political movement, but that's the only that's the only uh, skill set that the Senate brings to the that, that sure. the, House and the yeah. Senate bring to the table. Right? They can't charge somebody criminally. That's the job of the U.S. Attorney's Office yeah. or the Attorney General. Right? So they're the only tasking they can do. And if you look historically at what the purpose of of they um, of uh, of an impeachment is, and it's been used before in the United States. The concept is, and the stuff that's in the Constitution, the words in the Constitution are specifically there to say, if you have worked against this country, we don't want you to be able to be part of this country uh, administration. And, and that's what the Constitution says. That's what an impeachment is for. And, and, the, and what we would get with a Senate conviction when a lot of people say, well, what difference does it make he's out of office? Yes, a week from now, he'll be out of office. But what he won't be able to do is ever run for office again. Yeah. Now, I will say that. I will say for you taxpayers out there, he also has his $200,000 a year pension pulled, and he doesn't get that. He doesn't get his million dollar a year staff and funding that a president retired uh, that a former president gets. Mm -hmm. His health care, um, you know, and his secret service protection. So those are all taxpayer dollars. Um, I'm happy if somebody is fomenting uh, sedition uh, or insurrection. I'm happy to not pay them two hundred thousand dollars a year in salary, out of my yeah. tax dollars. So, yeah. so that's you know that's the other part of it. And I think when you when you took the bigger uh, the bigger picture, and I know, not the kind of thing that I'm going to say when I'm on like CBS or something. But yeah, sure. if you look if you look back at the history, uh, back to World War II, you'll see that Hitler 
you know, Hitler was disciplined. Uh, Hitler tried to overthrow Hitler. Mm -hmm. You know, look at that history and see how Hitler overcame that struggle. He came back stronger, and then he took over Germany, and every and the, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that Trump is certainly he's not smart enough for that, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that kind of history of we don't yeah. want this guy said he's going to run. Right. So what if two years from now he starts running for president again? Yeah, and yeah. that's what that's what the impeachment uh, and a successful uh, conviction in the Senate would uh, guarantee. And I think that's why you're seeing uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, current uh, majority leader right now, uh, saying that he would like to see uh, Trump ex excised from the Republican Party. He sees mm -hmm. the damage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um one of the uh, one of the last areas I want to spend some time talking about is uh, specifically what's going to happen to the people that committed this insurrection. Because mm. I mean, we talked earlier about how these were uh, a law enforcement's favorite criminal, which is someone who's taking a selfie while they're uh, while they're you know committing. Uh, treason against the United States. I mean, a guy sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office just sprawled out like mm -hmm. an idiot, like, oh, look at me, just casually committing treason. Um, so at least trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so, so my first question is, um, what is going to happen to these people once they are caught? Like, what is, what are, what are the potential punishments? What are the potential like legal charges that are gonna be levied against them uh, at this point? Sure, there are tons of charges. And I'll say this at the outset, every single person who was there that we can identify should mm -hmm. be charged. Every yeah. single one of them. Nobody gets off scot-free. Nobody gets to just be made an example of because they sat at Nancy Pelosi's desk yeah. or picked up, picked up the speaker's podium. Yeah. And you're talking about specifically the people that breached the Capitol. Everybody sure. who breached the Capitol uh, should be charged. And, and the FBI is in the process of doing that. They're capable of doing that. Everybody they can identify, they absolutely will. They have a lot of tools and toys uh, at their behest, and they'll figure out a way to do that. Um, but as far as the charges, uh, Washington, D.C., because it's not a state, is kind of funky. So misdemeanor sort of stuff gets charged in the state in the Washington, D.C. District Court by the D.C. Mm. Uh, Attorney General. Federal cases, any other cases get charged in the federal system by the U.S. Attorney in the D.C. District. But nonetheless, whether no matter the type of crime, um, you're talking about uh, initially, right, uh, types of crimes, uh, carrying a firearm, mm. carrying a firearm, uh, brandishing a firearm, uh, uh, intimidation, access to government space, theft of government property, improper access to government space, theft of government property, uh, you know, unlawful entry, um, disorderly conduct. I mean, there's a thousand uh, different things, and, you know, impeding an officer, all mm -hmm. the assaults on the federal officers, yeah. the murder of a federal officer, that's a felony murder trial, which is a very felony murder case, a very unusual uh, situation and uh, one of the few cases that has that carries a death penalty and federal mm -hmm. most federal cases don't have death penalty you murder a federal agent you're gonna you're gonna get the death penalty potentially all mm -hmm. those people who are all videoed beating metropolitan police department officers and all those law enforcement officers who were physically assaulted those are all criminal charges um, mm -hmm. and and they're all they're all felonies those are all felony charges um, in addition 
to the higher, higher ones. Think about the audio tapes that we're beginning to pick up about coordinated attacks. Yeah. Those are those conspiracy. are much more complicated. A seditious conspiracy, mm. any type of organized event to overthrow the government. All of that is um, con the conspiracy stuff. I mean, conspiracy is is twenty plus years. All of those. Yeah. Things. So these are huge. I know that people say, well, you know, I got caught up in the moment. Caught up in the moment doesn't, does not, is not a use of court. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I can, I've never had that successfully used against me in court as a yeah. prosecutor. Yeah, caught up in that's... the moment, we don't care. Does something like a conspiracy charge then like extend through the network of people that may have conspired with someone that then committed a crime there? Just out of, for my own yes. curiosity. So, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so if you were exactly on parlor. Like no, yeah, it, it, if you were if you were part of the team making the plan, mm -hmm. you it's the classic what we say, if you were driving the car to the bank robbery, sure, and two people run inside, rob the bank, and they kill a, a bank officer in the yeah. process, and they run back yeah. out and they hop back in the car, you're going to be charged as the driver of the car for murdering that person sure. inside. And it's mm -hmm. no different. That's what conspiracy is. If you're gotcha. part of the planning, whether you actually execute it or not, so there could be people who planned it and coordinated it and executed and didn't mm. and didn't go into the capital but they were part of the planning if yeah. they're building pipe bombs in their basement in iowa they're part of the team they're going mm. down man so these, yeah, so talk these about people what, are what your prosecutor in this case would want like people taking videos of themselves <laughs> like doing the crime directly connected to public postings and social media postings about planning the crimes potentially connected to networks of people who aided in in setting up and planning and preparing these folks to actually go do this like this could this could extend so far um right. given there's, the resource the right resources yeah i think yeah. that potentially there's thousands of people involved hmm. in this, wow. right so and these these so, people are looking for looking at serious prison time there will be people who will do serious prison time i i, I have no doubt about that i will say this about uh you know not that I think your listeners might have been engaged or involved in any of this, but I think that it's really important that most of these people may have done, may have been kind of herd mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Most of them, sure. uh, if, if there were, I'm making numbers up, right? But if there were 200 people who were working very hard to organize an insurrection in the United States through the, at the state capitol, there were another thousand who just were just walking along because they thought it was cool and it was cold yeah, and they were looking for, sure. for a bathroom, right? Yeah. So, um, because there's no bathrooms on the mall. So um, just saying. Yeah, so, I run into that all the time biking. It's such a pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, those people who might have had some tangential involvement, I think that it understandably, I hope everybody understands, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI are saying, please, please just turn yourself in. Tell us, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. because a minor charge in D.C. for, you know, accessing a federal building unlawful entry when you shouldn't have gone in there is going to be a lot e more easily resolved than once we identify you and then it turns into a more complicated problem. Sure. That makes sense. You're going to be sense. hiring a lawyer and, you know, yeah. none of that is good. I appreciate your nuance talking about this group of people through this whole time because I think it really helps the whole conversation, talking about protesters, talking about insurrectionists, and, and making sure that we we highlight those dividing lines because then it, it, it helps everyone make sense of the situation. I including really counter arguments against like the BLM and Tifa participation. Cause it's like, well, who cares? Like if, if we have insiders, they're not the only people responsible for the actions of the mob, even if the mob right. is like f just following the leader. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good. But the difference, you know, right. Think about the difference of what we had. We had a single incident, a massive mm -hmm. single incident uh, at the Capitol where there was a clearly a, a, an effort to go in and infiltrate what, what they what they dealt with uh, in uh, in the in the wake of George Floyd was street protests that included bashing windows mm -hmm. and included, you know, in some towns turning over cars and lighting them on fire. But they were essentially street protests. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. a completely different type of protest march uh, effort. And, and so they, they're really comparing them all the time and saying, mm. oh, they should have done this. I will say this, though. There's been a lot of uh, kind of second guessing, a lot of backyard, you know, a lot of uh, whatever that phrase is where people are like, oh, let me explain, you know, and they're drinking their beer and saying this is what mm -hmm. they should have done. Right. Yeah. There have there. There's been a lot of second guessing about whether or not they should have had the National Guard there. Sure. But there's a lot of uh, after the National Guard was out uh, during all of the uh, protests after George Floyd, there was a, a large concern in the Washington region about militarizing the streets, militarizing the streets, militarizing the streets. And there was a lot of criticism about mm -hmm. it. I think the Pentagon said that straight out, that they were hesitant to. And they told that to Capitol Police. They were hesitant to send um, the National Guard in because the National Guard, if it was going to support the Capitol, had to come out of a, a Pentagon authorization because D.C. is not a state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And the last question that I want to ask, I know I said last question a question ago. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we know how reliable you are now, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not I, I even do a wanna... source for your own mind. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, lie implies intent. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the last area that I do want to touch on a bit more, because you, you just alluded to it, there have definitely been a lot of criticisms about the way that uh, law enforcement handled these protesters and how they tend to, pro to handle uh, left-wing protesters, Black Lives Matter protesters, and, and the like. So... Would you say that that's an appropriate criticism that there was there might have been some political bias in that they they weren't as afraid or taking it as seriously as they should have been um, as they might have if these were uh, left wingers or uh, primarily uh, people of color? Yeah, I mean, I, I th I've heard that criticism. I think it's a fair criticism, you know, whether it's fair criticism to everybody, um, you know, I, I can't say, um, but it. You know, I think when you when you do the analysis uh, and you say, okay, well, here's the intelligence, and how should you how should you take this intelligence that I have for you, boss, and and how should you turn that into a security plan? Um, I think that probably it's it's absolutely fair to say that they there there was probably a certain segment that said, look, you know, these guys who are going to this, and I think maybe it was just a, a straight up mistake on the part of the uh, security planners to say, people who are coming to Washington are coming in. For this Trump speech, and they generally don't have violent uh, issues in Trump speeches, and this is going to be a Trump speech, and and whether that was a failure on the part of the people doing the intelligence analysis uh, to say, yeah, 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 there's a whole group coming in for that, but there's a whole other group coming in for this. They maybe bucketed them all together in their minds, in some people's minds, and that might have been, well, we're going to bucket them all together and say, well, look, those Trump guys have never caused any big issues before. And whether that translates, and certainly, absolutely, it, it, there are certainly people who would have said, well, you know, those white guys have never done that before. I'm sure there are people who think that way because we're, you know, human beings. And so uh, 
you know, all human beings uh, have implicit bias in different ways, and I'm sh and to deny that people might have some people might have seen it that way, I think is disingenuous. But um, you know, whether everybody made that mistake um, is hard to say. I, I really just think it was it was a it was a security analysis intelligence a failure of intelligence analysis to plan from a security standpoint because they knew that the march was going to be the the plan was going to be down 16 blocks away at the White House and then a failure to really take it and dissect that intelligence and say yeah but and then mm. when you add on top of it a fomented crowd who had you know words that were much more uh, even much more direct on the speakers uh, before the president came out and then the president turns around and says march down there he invited them to march down there I will be with you and I will come with you and you know I think that that was probably not something they could have anticipated the president's speech was mm. not written ahead of time if they you know a lot of times the president's speech is written ahead of time and uh, well always you know many times and it's released ahead of time and mm. you know nobody knew this was going to happen I mean I think that's what they would say nobody knew this was going to happen uh, because who could have thought that all of these Jenga pieces would have come together? In sure, yeah, yeah. In that, in that short time. And you know, Michael, you said before about how, well, this happened and then just a minute later and a minute later. Here's what I know as a mass casualty expert. You yeah. know, 70% of active shooter incidents end in five minutes or less, mm. half of those in two minutes or less. Violence happens quickly. No one has time to think about it. And sure. that's exactly what happened here. Yeah, which puts all the emphasis on preparation for these kinds of things because there isn't time for reaction or backup. You have to have no. a plan. You know, the Capitol Police officer who shot and killed that woman, um, who was very uh, vocal, right, as we now know, about uh, getting into um, the Capitol and she was going to take back the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, Capitol Police officer, I will say, from a law enforcement standpoint, the fact that they only shot one round and only one person was uh, hit was that officer um, and the, the shooting of that particular individual, um, that was just happening in one tiny little corner of a huge mm -hmm. building that has like 400 yeah. doors, right? Yeah. So the, I think there's a, it's very easy to say Capitol Police should have done this or they should have known that or they could have and they could have, why weren't there more backup? You don't have time for any of that. Those people mm -hmm. weren't talking to each other on the radio. Yeah. Everybody who acted heroically or who uh, who who didn't act heroically, but I mean, I think there was a lot. There were a number of heroic acts that we saw about Capitol Police uh, and the M Metropolitan Police Department who were there. Those were individual acts because they didn't have time to call yeah. and do any other coordinating stuff because it all happened so quickly. Three guys come in; they're going to help out at the doorway. They're dragged out and beaten. Yeah, you know, we're lucky they weren't beaten to death. Yeah. yeah. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really cool interview. Um, you know, it, it's really nice to have a true expert to to lay out lay this out. And I really hope that uh, I really hope that this has given our listeners some perspective on the events. Yeah. So thank I, you so much. Yeah, and I really appreciate like the specificity and also the like focus on like details and what we know and what we don't know, like. All of that just speaks to how critical it is to understand exactly what happened so that we can know the magnitude, know its implications, and know what we can do going forward. 
Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. And I, I, it's a very detailed issue, and, and the devil is always in the details. And a lot of times you get, it gets, you get lost in all the information that's out there. Mm. And my opinions and my thoughts are just, you know, one tiny piece of the puzzle. But I'm happy to, and if, you know, if somebody doesn't agree and they want to argue about something, I'm game with that. You know, I mean, if somebody comes back and says, yeah, but she was full of crap because, you know, <laughs> okay, let's do, let's bring it, man. Let's do it yeah. again. Um, yeah. Because I do think that we did more than anything else. I, I was communicating earlier today before uh, we got together with a person who I know is in a militia group who um, is a prominent person uh, who said, oh, I want to talk to you. Um, and do a podcast with you. And I said, absolutely. Because he said, I don't think that people are talking to each other anymore. And we need to talk to each other. And I completely agree with that. Because there are, there are, there are very sensible people out there and smart people who just, um, who are just overwhelmed right now. And I would say that on all spectrums of, of no matter what your position is. Thank you so much. And now to round out our episode, we will end on a high note. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is the fact that uh, my wife has gotten the first round of vaccines, the first dose of a vaccine. And that takes a lot of anxiety off of my shoulders. Now, of course, uh, to, to people watching who might have been vaccinated, which is probably very few people, uh, we still want to take precautions for now while there is still a pandemic ra raging because... You know, you might still you might be part of the five percent that this vaccine isn't uh, effective against um, or, you know, various other things. You still might be like you might not be able to get infected, but you might still be able to infect other people in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so we do want to wait until there is herd immunity before we start uh, really making things go back to normal. But it is it makes me feel so much better that she has that extra layer of protection. And I, I hope that I'll be able to get that soon. Yeah, dude, that's so cool. I don't think I've ever been so jealous of, of a shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So what was your highlight, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my highlight is going to be Friday. Yeah. <laughs> this week has kicked my ass <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm so, so ready for it to be over. Um, and honestly, this, this episode has been a real highlight yeah. through the whole week. It's been a hard week, so yeah. I'm happy to do it. And one last thing that we've got to tell you guys about is that um, after, what, this is episode 64? After 64 episodes, I guess we'll be 65 next week, um, following the inauguration, we think that's when the world will be a little less on fire. We're going to be taking a short break um, from the perspective. Yeah. So just a, a, a couple of weeks where we won't be putting out episodes. We're going to be thinking about the show, thinking about thinking the way forward in, in, in the Biden during the Biden presidency, yeah. um, and bringing great content to you in the rest of 2021. Yeah. And to be clear, uh, we are still, we are going to be coming back. So, you know, we yeah. know you're going to miss us and we'll still have the same theme song. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but we do need just a little bit of a break. Uh, yeah just just for our own sanity just so we can breathe for a bit yeah um yeah cool and with that thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum you'll hear from us again next